When you go to an Asheville City soccer club game, you're not just watching soccer, you're welcomed into what players and fans call the South Slope Blues. The South Slope Blues, they're amazing. This is the coach of the women's team, Brooke Bingham. The atmosphere is what makes Asheville City soccer so great. Longtime player Laura Greb. We have the most dedicated fans. We have our South Slope Blues. They post up in the corner of the field every game. They've got their drums, they've got their smoke, they've got their loud voices. You can hear them for miles. Elite men and women players from throughout North Carolina team up in Asheville for a two-month season against other aspiring pros from all over the Southeast. Home games this season begin May 18th at Greenwood Field on the UNC Asheville campus. For details, tickets, and your first steps into the South Slope Blues, visit Asheville City Soccer Club at AshevilleCitySC.com. I'm Matt Pikin, and this is The Overlook Live. This episode closes out the week of live episodes I recorded in front of an audience September 27th inside the Wortham Center for the Performing Arts. Performing behind me are the Resonant Rogues with their Maker song. I adopted it from the very beginning of this show as our theme song, so it's only fitting that when I share their new music and this new conversation with you, it marks the 100th episode of my show since I launched The Overlook this past February. I talk with Sparrow and Keith of the Resonant Rogues about how two itinerant musicians stopped in Asheville long enough to find each other and build lives together around their music. We also delve into the personal nature of their new music and hear them perform a couple songs from the album. So when I met you two, you were still very much road dogs. You were traveling constantly. In fact, I think I was really lucky to get time with you because you're constantly traveling. How has that evolved for you in the time since COVID? And I know you, and I want you to talk about the bus you built, the bus you fashioned for yourself. What has the road meant to you now in these last few years since we first connected? Like you said, we made ourselves a tiny house bus to live in on the road during COVID. We had some extra time. <laughs> was that was that part of it? Was was the pandemic part of your impetus or had you already mapped this out well in advance that you knew you needed this bus? No, I think that it was very much like the pandemic. I think pre-pandemic we were just rolling so fast and so hard. It was hard to even look around and think about any other way of doing anything. And so that was like one of the good things that came out of that time is to have the chance to look at our life and be like, what would make this more sustainable for us? What would make this, yeah, what would make it more pleasant to be on the road as much as we are? And one of those was to have a vehicle that we could really camp in on the road or live in that felt like home. And we found a bus. Keith did a ton of research on different kinds of engines and different kinds of options. And then we found one pretty close by. So talk about that a little bit, Keith, about it's one thing to have the idea, hey, let's 
make things more comfortable on the roads, another to fashion a bus from virtually scratch that's going to work for you. Were you out of your element in a way in doing this? And yeah, initially it was a, it was a process of learning as we went. Uh, YouTube is a wonderful thing. <laughs> I will say that. You know. Is there a video how to build a tour bus? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is. There's many videos. Yes. Now I want to uh, tell the audience that the road comes very naturally and easily to both Sparrow and Keith. Keith, for a number of years, was hopping freight trains in a sense and playing music and traveling the country by train. And Sparrow did some of that as well as she was a circus performer traveling with the circus. And yet you both met in Asheville when you were stationary. That's correct, right? Yeah, I was stationary-ish. <laughs> Keith was living here for like a couple months. I think it was like two months. On his way to New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. So it was just serendipity timing-wise yeah. that you happened to both be planted at that time. Talk about the instant or how you found a musical kismet together because you're meeting all kinds of people you're touring and traveling separately constantly what was the spark between you two musically that you felt oh we have something here we came from a similar background we had a lot of friends on the road that we all played music together so we played similar styles of music obscure folk music whether it be old time or eastern european music or early swing music, finding somebody that did all of that and liked all of that was rare. Did you find the same thing, Sparrow? I mean, were you more steeped in the local scene or regional scene than Keith was at the time? Were you going to jams? Were you playing out? What were you doing before Keith came into your orbit? I was in a band at that time, but I was also, I was recording a solo album. I had always been in bands where I had just written like five times as many songs as everybody else. And they were always like collective bands with multiple songwriters. And so I had to wait to bring my songs forward until everybody else brought a song forward. And I finally just, I was like, okay, I have like three albums worth of materials. I should make one. (laughs) And actually when Keith and I met... I had just had a guitar player fall through for a recording session that I was doing, I think maybe two days later or something like that. And we met at this musician house and we jammed a little bit and I asked him if he wanted to play guitar on my record. And so that was like how we started. Keith, you came in as a a hired hand in a sense. Yeah, I was (laughs) filling in and you were mostly wrapped up with your solo record at the time, right? Yeah, I believe. When did you start writing together, and how did that... It was, a, it was a process of kind of meeting each other halfway where we were in our lives. I was full-blown traveling at that point, aside from that pit stop in Asheville, of course, but I went back to New Orleans for the winter. But the meeting had such a strong impact on me that I couldn't stop thinking about Sparrow, and we kept talking probably... Every day. Pretty much every day. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, eventually we figured out that we had to be together and make music together. And I ended up moving back to Asheville. How do you think you stretched each other or challenged each other musically in ways that you would not have done on your own? Keith made me start practicing with a metronome. Really? Were you all over the map in your timing? Uh, I don't think it was that bad, but it wasn't. I wasn't paying that much attention to it. Okay. Um, Yeah. And I think that Keith really kicked my butt to become more professional in a lot of ways. I'd always played music and loved playing music, but hadn't necessarily taken it that 
super seriously or even really considered it as a legitimate career choice. I'm from a punk subcultural background where like you're not supposed to make money off your art. You're supposed to wash dishes for the rest of your life. As, you know? a, as an ethos that you were holding tight to that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Keith, why, given that you're this sort of itinerant underpinning to your life, what do you owe wanting to be more professional to? I think I just wanted to be a musician. I, I worked on farms. I did like conservation work in the woods. I did some hard labor stuff. And I was like, I don't actually want to break my back for a living. I want to make art. This is something that I feel like I'm good at and I can offer the world. And I just made that decision early on. Did partnering with Sparrow kickstart that into another gear in terms of thinking, oh, this can be something that we are offering that people will really take to in a way that maybe the music you were doing previously, you weren't finding that kind of traction? Yeah, I think that the music we made together was pretty special and had more potential than mine alone. Talk about the creative arc from the music you made in your early years to now this new album. Because to me, when you listen to the new record, it's a self-titled album. It's their fourth record. And there are a lot of similarities to my ear to your earlier music. And yet some of the lyrics speak very much to the now, or at least to the recent. Talk about how you see your creative arc over that time. One of the big differences, I think, between our current record and some of our earlier records is that we used to, we like to play a lot of different styles of music. We're songwriters first and foremost, but we are also instrumentalists and we love traditional music, a lot of different kinds. And we used to just play all of it under the Resonant Rogues banner. So some of our earlier records will have, there'll be like a kind of a Egyptian sounding tune and then a, like a Django sounding French sounding tune and then a Appalachian tune all right next to each other. And what's happened in the last few years is that we've started separate bands that focus on some of the different styles of traditional music that we love. So we have a Balkan brass band. So now that's where that end of our influence lives over there. We have a swing band. That's where we play traditional swing over there. And then Resonant Rogues has become much more focused on our songwriting and also our sense of place of where we live. We live in Marshall, North Carolina, and out in the mountains. And yeah, we and live you in built Southern your own house too, right? You didn't you? We're in the process. You're still yeah. in the process. <laughs> this is a long process. Yeah, yeah. talk yeah. about so that. So the bus was a stepping stone to that. And I want to just preface the bus thing with my favorite doodle as a child was drawing built-in furniture. I have always been like weird in that way. I've always wanted to do something like that and got to finally design something and then see it to fruition. And I cannot wait until we're to that point in our house build when I'm actually making the cabinetry because yeah, we were, a lot of process before that. We were starting to talk about the new record and one of the things <laughs> that really wowed me about what you do, you really jump from a lot of different styles. I hear 50s doo-wop in there and some kind of classic barn-burning bluegrass and some weepy, sweet embers of Appalachian, <laughs> Southern Appalachian music. And yet, I, not that I hear, but I read in your lyrics, and I want to point out the song. There's a song called 93,000 Miles, and here's a lyric from that song. 93,500 miles, 
bound to hit a bump in the road. Got 99 questions in two bad directions. How the hell am I going to get home? (laughs) Tell me that at least this isn't some nod to Jay-Z's 99 problems. (laughs) After after I wrote that line, I'm like, that's going to be always, like, people are going to mention that forever. So you thought of that after you wrote the... Yeah, it was... We wrote that song in the moment. We had just broken down on the side of the road in Wyoming, and the exact odometer reading was 93,500 miles. And really the song is about those moments in your life when you hit a bump in the road. And it came to us really quick. It was our first co-write. After 10 years of playing music together. first co-write? Yeah. Yeah. We write our (laughs) songs separately. Is that intentional because you just think there's going to be too much friction? No. It's just always been that way, but we're starting to do more co-writing yeah. after all these years. I think both of us are very personal songwriters. There are songwriters who it's a deep craft, like, and it's storytelling and all that kind of stuff. And we do some of that as well. But yeah, I think for both of us, most of our songs come from a very deep personal place. And co-writing can be weird when you're writing about the inside of your head. I think in this case, it was a very specific feeling that we both felt. Mm -hmm. Are there other songs that were shared experiences? Leave the Path that we just played is a shared experience that we've both had. It was thinking about like how when you've been through really like hard traveling, it does give you a sense that you can do anything because you've been able to exist off of almost nothing, off of very little... We had this conversation the other day in the coffee shop, like when you have existed off of very little income and been figuring out your way in the world, it becomes easier to take leaps of faith than if you're used to being super comfortable forever for your whole life. Yeah. You have another song on your record. I think it's the album Closer. It's called What Happened to That Feeling. Mm -hmm. And I want to read some lyrics here that will, I think, are very telling about this song. We've been working so hard that our hands are worn and rough. And it's an understatement saying times they have been tough. And our romance can get buried under piles of life's hard stuff. Oh, what happened to that feeling? Will it ever be enough? I can't imagine you writing those lyrics without talking to each other about what that means to put them into a song for everybody. I don't think I asked. Sorry. (laughs) So, Keith, were those from you? No. Because Sparrow sings the song, I didn't know. So That's my, those are my words. They're your yeah. words. <laughs> Were they from something that you'd been percolating on for a while? They were just from, I think it was a moment where we had given ourselves a crazy deadline on our house build before having to leave for tour. And we were working all day, every day. And for seven days a week, 10-hour days for like a month trying to get our basement dried in time to, to hit the road for months of tour. And we were like, we can't not finish this. And yeah, just think that's hard on any relationship. And we work really hard. Like we are working class musicians. And I've had some conversations recently with a fellow musician whose family kind of was disapproving of his profession, (laughs) thinking it wasn't like a super valid way to make a living or wasn't real work, but it's real work. And then the addition of some of the, the additional stuff we have. And 
we chose to build a house and we are very fortunate that we were able to come into ownership at all. But homeownership feels close to impossible for a lot of people from our generation, especially living in a place like Western North Carolina that just has really high housing prices. And ownership aside, even that, like just renting, it feels it's very difficult to get by. What made you, in a sense, double down on living here? You have the bus. Both of you are used to being on the road. Cost of living, obviously, is a challenge. You wrote about it. So what is it about this region and making music in this region that keeps you here, at least anchored here, as a coming home point? I have a kid. I have a teenager who I co-parent. His dad lives in Emma, so right outside of Asheville. For me, that's my number one commitment in in life. Has your child gone gone with you on the road? Yes. The tour joke was, I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. Because every fun thing that we did, he'd be like, (laughs) maybe, yeah, maybe it'd be different. How old is he now? He's 15 now. Does he still travel with you or is he uh, beyond that? He does sometimes, yeah. He mostly goes goes with us. We'll go to our extended families and then he'll stay with them and we'll tour regionally around those places. Keith, when Sparrow was writing that song, did you know it was acute to your experience with the home? Or was there something broader here that we need to check in with each other? Was there something along that line? Yeah, I think it's just a reflection on the difficulties in maintaining a long-term relationship when you're working really hard. Mm -hmm. Which is most people. I think it's pretty relatable. And I think when initially the first time I heard it, I was like, this kind of feels revealing in a certain way. <laughs> but when you think about it being something that pretty much anybody deals with, any, any marriage, it's something that you have to deal with is just working really hard and maintaining a healthy, loving relationship. So, Has this represented, this record represented a new level of being personal in your music? For or have sure. you always strived for that? For me, it definitely has. Yeah, this record for sure is like another level of personal songwriting. Like it's not just the fluffy, happy parts of life. And not that our old records, I would write about hard stuff, especially like mental health struggles or stuff that was very like person, like felt like personal to me. But then, yeah, this is one of the first records that I feel like we've allowed ourselves to write about our relationship and not been embarrassed or ashamed of that, just knowing that there's a deep power in music that speaks to some universal hard things. And it's there's nothing wrong with struggling. And there's nothing wrong with, yeah, a a long-term, you know, we've been together for 10 years. And making music the entire time. So (laughs) it's been inextricable, your relationship and music. Have you found at times that you've leaned into the music when times have been tough on a more personal level or vice versa if the music, things aren't happening with, you know, just financially sales, crappy agents or promoters and the leaning into each other when that's going? Yeah, has sometimes been that just let's go on a walk. Let's go on a hike. Let's get away from our career for a minute. More after this. It's spring and you want to hike 
bike, hit up the farmer's market, but the last thing you want to do on a warm, sunny morning is clean house. That's where Greenland Pro Cleaning comes in. They're eco-friendly, allergy-friendly, and locally owned in Asheville. Listeners of The Overlook get a free upholstery and refrigerator cleaning upgrade with their first booking. Just use the code PODCAST at checkout. Make the most of your time this spring and visit greenlandprocleaning.com overlook. Imagine, you're a classical music composer about to premiere your final symphony. Behind the scenes, your family and a stranger are about to throw everything into disarray. Welcome to A God in the Waters, the latest play by the venerable Asheville writer David Brendan Hopes. Look for a lot of laughs, but also a deeper reflection on the making of art and its impact on the people closest to the genius at work. The Sublime Theater presents A God in the Waters May 9th through 18th at the BB Theater in downtown Asheville. For tickets and details, go to thesublimetheater.org. Speaking of the road, you have a new record. Do you already have a tour booked? What's happening? Yeah, we have a bunch of stuff coming up. We have some touring at the end of October with our good friend Matt Heckler, who also lives in this region and who we've known since before we met. I think both of us met him before we met each other. And we'll be doing a long tour with him next spring also. And then we have a full band run, like beginning of December, that's coming up. But our big Asheville event that's happening is November 17th at the Great Eagle. We're having our album release show with full, full band. Sweet. And by the way, their vinyl is here. It's the first time you've been selling your vinyl. Nobody's supposed to know. Like the record company doesn't think they're releasing the record yet. Our record company. Well, you do have a record. Anyway, it's for sale here tonight. And by the way, they have to leave right after the intermission. So if you want it, don't wait till the end. Pick it up at the intermission. You have a couple songs you're going to perform for us from the record. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the songs you're going to perform. So we're going to do a song called Ridgelines. And that was a song that I wrote when we were looking for property, but hadn't found anything suitable yet. We had found some things that were near misses and really honed in on what we wanted. Sometimes it takes those close calls to figure out what is really important. And I wrote the song and then two days later we found our mountain. Sweet. And, um, yeah. And the miracle was that it was, we could afford it. Yeah, that is a miracle. <laughs> it's very, here. very steep. Yeah. <laughs> I think oh, anybody it- else would see it and be like, what am I going to do with that? And I was like, walk up it. <laughs> did, if it's that steep, did, how how long are the pilings to keep it? Oh, the level? the house is built into the hillside. So the first story is a walkout basement. Oh, And then it's got two stories on top of that. So it's kind of a tower house like Asheville, but it doesn't have the... You mean the the, the, the supports, the pilings. Yeah. If no one 
What's the second song you're going to perform? The second song we're going to perform is called Show Me. And that's another one of those kind of like personal relationship songs, but it's also just very sweet. And it's about, I think I wrote it after a very brief end of the evening, hangry spat <laughs> where yeah. we were both, we had just had a long gig and forgot to bring snacks and and then I walked into the Crow and Quill actually and there was like a vintage R&B doo-wop rock and roll band playing and I was like I just need to say how I feel and how I feel is why can't we just be nice to each other why is it so hard let's just be nice to each other that seems to be <laughs> and, the message we need to send to a lot of people yeah. <laughs> and I tell you what if you want to hear these songs with the full full band that means fiddle upright bass pedal steel and drums come out to the Grey Eagle on November 17th 
Try, then we can always be. 
Before you, the listener, click away from this episode, I want you to understand the role The Overlook plays in our local media scene. No other show on air or online gives you this kind of context around the news, arts, issues, and trends of Asheville. This is my 100th episode of the show, and if you appreciate the work I do, please consider supporting it with a small contribution every month through my Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash the Overlook podcast for all the details. I owe tremendous thanks to Sparrow and Keith of the Resonant Rogues for allowing me to use their maker song as the Overlook's theme and also for their appearance today at my first live podcasting event. And do yourselves a favor, go buy their new album, everyone. You can subscribe to The Overlook with Matt Pikin wherever you get your podcasts. I produce new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook.